looks on you gets your friends and neighbors too. There'll be nobody left behind to grieve, and we will all go together when we go. What a comforting fact that is to know. Universal bereavement and inspiring achievement. Yes, we all will go together when we go. We will all go together when we go. Used with an incandescent glow. No one will have the endurance to collect on his insurance. Lloyds of London will be loaded when they go. This is uh, Jim Fetzer, your host on The Raw Deal, where my special guest today, Charlie Robinson, is the author of The Octopus of Global Control. You can find it on Amazon.com. First published in August of 2017. Here's a bit about it. Octopus of Global Control is a controversial nonfiction book detailing how those in positions of power are able to manipulate society for their benefit, why they believe that they are entitled to impose their warped worldview of reality on mankind, and how we can break free from their grip. The eight tentacles of control that are wrapped around humanity are the military, government, covert, physical, financial, media, spiritual, and scientific. The book tackles topics such as uncovering the deep state, false flag terror events, the media's role in manufacturing war, the 9-11 deception, the fraud of central banking, our broken education system, the use of religion to shape society, and the corrupted medical industry. The occupants The octopus of global control footnotes these important events by featuring quotes and first-hand observations from over 500 witnesses and participants who were involved in the most important events in our history. Their words add context and help to paint the picture of these historic events by explaining who these people were, what they said, why it matters, and what actually happened. The author, Charlie Robinson, accomplishes the seemingly impossible task of blending the seriousness of these topics and the respect they deserve with dark humor, sarcasm, and wit that allow the reader to laugh at the preposterous while grasping the importance of these lessons. Charlie, that's just a terrific book. I've taken a look. I really like it. I wanted to have you on. Welcome to The Raw Deal. Thank you so much. I have to credit you as being one of the 500 experts and also uh, very instrumental in my awakening to what was going on. I thought I knew what was going on, and I had an understanding of parts of it. But um, I think that your your work in the false flag area um, really woke me up to um, – well, you, you gave me the opportunity to watch these events unfold in, in, in my head, a checklist of what I should be looking for. If I see these things, you know it's fake. And because you've done such a good job with that, it, it allowed me to, uh, you know, to sort of watch a Boston Marathon with a notepad and a pen and say, okay, I'm going to see if I see this. I'm going to see if I see that. And uh, so thank you for that. Thank you for waking me up. Of course, it's a bit of a... Um, you know, I guess it's sometimes tempting to to say, well, maybe I wish I was back asleep because the world was a lot easier to deal with. And I can understand how people might might feel that way. But um, 
I credit you and your work uh, for a lot of this. So thanks very much, Jim. Well, those are wonderful observations, Charlie. I really appreciate that. Of course, I've had the benefit of bringing together experts on different aspects of these cases. That may be my greatest strength. I know what I do not know. I don't try to fake it. I try to get the best people to complement my own research. It began with JFK back in 1992, when it began uh, collaborating with a world authority on the human brain, who was also an expert on wound ballistics, a PhD in physics, who was also an MD and board certified in radiation oncology, which is a treatment of cancer using x-ray therapy. So he was an expert in the interpretation of x-rays, a physician who had been in trauma room number one when JFK's moribund body was brought in and then two days later was responsible for the care and treatment of his alleged assassin, Lee Oswald. It has continued with Sandy Hook, for example, bringing together 13 experts, including six current or retired Ph.D. college professors, a Dr. Eowyn among them who had already published 80 articles on Sandy Hook. I myself had already published 30 James Tracy was among the contributors. I've worked, too, with Wolfgang Halbig, and it continues to this day as one of these phony stage events unfolds after another. Charlie, I so much like your book. Why don't you tell us a little about the eight tentacles of control that are wrapped around humanity? Sure. Well, you know, so on on the morning of September 11th, um, I didn't have the privilege of knowing right away what was really going on. I think I was like a lot of people. I, 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 I sort of just believed it as a possibility. I wasn't certain, but it sounded plausible to me. It took a couple years, really, before I started to dig in. I think like movies like Loose Change, um, what woke me up to that possibility. At the time, I was living in Las Vegas. I was working in, in real estate. And so we're, we're, I was in the middle of this insane housing bubble. And as it started to stall out at the peak right around 2007, I had, um, I had my boss, uh, I was selling new homes. We had a meeting and he explained how they were going, how we were going to institute this new policy. We were going to have like a bucket of incentive money to play with, uh, say a hundred thousand dollars. And you can use that a couple different ways. You could just take it off the price of the house, or you can allow someone to use it for, to buy down their interest rate or use it for closing costs. And those were all normal things that we'd been doing. But the, as the sales stalled, we needed to get more creative. So his idea was take that bucket of money. Let's say you have a husband and wife that come in and don't qualify for a house because their debt to income is too high. They both have car payments. They both have credit card bills. Take that bucket of money, pay off their cars, pay off their credit cards, and then rerun them and see if they qualify when they have no debt. Well, that's fraud. I mean, it's just plain and simple fraud. And, and so I raised my hand and, and said, hey, uh, have we cleared this with our legal department? And I'll never forget his answer. He said, I'd rather beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. And I realized right then, like, this is bad. I'm in the middle of this fraud. I'm watching it. I'm watching, you know, within the big short, the movie, the big short and the book came out. I read that. I was like, oh, my God, I was living that. I was right there. So I started to get a little insight into the financial fraud that was happening. I understood now at this point about the false flags and things like that. But the financial part was creeping in. And you kind of have this feeling that Wall Street is a rigged game. But by being involved in, the, in that mortgage industry and watching it and watching how we were supposed to lie to the escrow company and not tell them about this, I was like, oh, my God. 
So about the same time this was happening, a friend of mine gave me John Perkins' book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Yes. And it just, that was it. That, that was the light. It's, I just went, oh, I get it. I understand now. It is not accidentally a rigged game. It's intentional. And his book, I'm sure, you know, your listeners have, a lot of them have read it. If not, go get it. It's so powerful because it happened, you know, in the 60s and early 70s. But it, it's as if it's happening right now. And the, the trick, he explained how it was a trap between the World Bank and the IMF, get these third world countries uh, to uh, accept a big loan in order to build some sort of, you know, hydroelectric power plant or something like that. And they list all the benefits. It's going to give you electricity. You'll move into the new century. You're, you know, the families will have electricity. You can, the kids will learn to read at night. It's all going to be great. Well, it was the total, it was, it was like a loan shark, you know, like the mafia offering you a loan that they knew you couldn't repay. Eventually you'll default. And they did, you know, countries like Ecuador and, and places like that. Um, and then they would, there would be a solution offered to you. And it might be that, uh, you privatize your lumber industry and sell it off to one of their buddies, or you allow the country to put, you allow the U.S. to put a, a military base there, or whatever. You vote our way in a U.N. resolution. It was it was a, a loan that was designed to be a trap, and that's evil, you know. And of course, John Perkins talks about how he's basically spent the last couple of decades of his life trying to, uh, you know, trying to uh, uh, right these wrongs. And so after that. You know, this waking up process, it's, it's sort of incremental. And that, that, to me, I was wide awake at that point. I said, all right, I want to find out as much as I can. And one of the people that I, I wound up discovering was you. You know, and I, and I, and I got into your work, and I, I, it made sense to me. And your method, the way you went about it, uh, was very logical. It was very scientific. And, of course, your background is, is really strong for, for things like that. And um, I decided that... Um, you know, I had in a conversation one day with my mom, who is one of the few people that has, you know, really open-minded enough that I could sort of explain, hey, I discovered this new thing. And she would say, oh, that's great. And one day she said, well, you know, you've, you've, come, you've come across all this information. You've got it all figured out. What are you going to do with it? And I said, I don't know. It never occurred to me I had to do anything with it. I just figured I was just learning for myself. And so after that conversation, what a simple question, I – I decided that I would do what I was good at. I could, I could organize a ton of information. Uh, I could write in a way that was sort of interesting. And I, and I have a, a funny sense of humor about these things. So I tried to put that all together and, and create a book that would work as almost like a sort of like an encyclopedia of false flag and staged events and manipulations and things like that. And I did this because I had had the problem that I think a lot of people have, which is you, you start to bring this topic up to people that don't know much about it, and they look at you like you're crazy, or else they push back, and you've ruined the Thanksgiving dinner again because you brought up Building 7, and no one wants to hear it. So I, when I wrote this book, my intention was somebody that has already gone down the path that I have gone down and understands this pretty well and has family members or friends that don't get it and maybe think they're a bit crazy, this is the book that you give to them because it allows them to read, it allows you not to be the bad guy or the crazy person anymore. You can let me do that. And it's got so many different topics that there's bound to be one that will register. You know, someone will read, you know, maybe it's Boston bombing or maybe it's Sandy Hook or maybe it's building seven. For me, it was building seven. And I think for a lot of people it was. So, uh, 
I, in order to kind of make this information digestible, I figured that I had to infuse some humor in there. So, you know, I, I did it in a funny way. It's not to be disrespectful and it's not to diminish the seriousness of this, but more of like, um, you know, the way Jon Stewart at The Daily Show did it. You, you knew it was news, but it was presented to you in a funny way that made you kind of hang in there a little bit longer to laugh at it, but you still kind of got the point. So that was, that was where I came from. And, um, yeah, in the book, uh, I wrapped it up at uh, the end of last summer. So, Well, I'm just so impressed. And, of course, you mentioned John Perkins' Confessions of an Economic Hitman. That's a must-read. I mean, there, there are a few books that I say, really, everyone has to read, but that's most certainly one of them. And I'm just very impressed with the way you have brought together <laughs> such a large amount of information, organized it so well, and interspersed it with quotes that are just wonderful in and of themselves. Some of the commentators think the book was worth the price just for the quotes. <laughs> well, you know what? I sent it to, um, I, did a, I did a chapter uh, on Wolfgang Halbig, uh, and, I, and I titled it, You're, Calling the, You're Sending the Wolf, which is a play on the Pulp Fiction um, uh, part of the Pulp Fiction movie when they get sure. the wolf who comes to town and fixes the, the problem. Well, in, in this chapter, it's about Wolfgang Halbuck, and he comes to town to fix the problem, but he is not as welcomed as, um, Mr. as wolf. Winston Wolf was <laughs> in, in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, And so when I got done with it, I sent it, to, uh, I sent it over to Wolfgang, and he, said, and he sent me an email back. He said, call me. And so I did. I called him the next day, and... Um, and I just said, hey, thank, you know, thank you for reach, you know, for giving me your phone number. I'm really, I was inspired by him. You know, I mean, he took, a, it took a lot of guts and he, he gave me the, so far the best compliment I've had on the book. He said, I think this should be required reading for everybody that is uh, a senior in high school before they graduate. And I said, wow, can you say that into, you know, can I tape record you saying that? But <laughs> I had a good, a good conversation with him. He just, um, you know, he's a guy that, that, wanted to believe that the story I mean I guess he wanted to believe that the story was real and he just couldn't get past it his background led him to to believe that there were just some serious problems and and then the reaction of the police to his interest in this was um very suspicious you know what I mean if it wasn't a big deal I don't know why they would send police to his house and um you know and, and you you were of course working with him quite closely. And so I, that was one of those things that just kind of woke me up. And, and it's such a, a topic that, you, you, you know, you got to be 100% sure on, on this one because it's such a sensitive thing. If you're uh, accusing people of uh, faking the, the deaths of 20 kids or you know, yeah. and six, six uh, adults, you better be damn right. And I, you guys are damn right. You know, I mean, I, I, there's, there's really just no other way to slice it. Of course, I, I understand if, if someone is new to this territory and that's the first topic you bring up, you're going to get pushback. And so, and, and I understand that because I had to go through these, these sorts of conversations with friends of mine. Um, but I liked the way, there, there's something interesting that you did in, in this book. And it's one of the quotes that I put in here, and I'd like to read it. This is from you. This is um, talking about... Um, Boston bombing. It says, according to Dr. Carver and state police, Lanza shot each victim between three and 11 times during a five to seven minute span. If one is to average this out to seven bullets per individual, excluding misses, 
Lanza shot 182 times, or once every two seconds. Yet, according to the official story, Lanza was the sole assassin and armed with only one weapon. Thus, if misses in changing the gun's 30-shot magazine at least six times are added into the equation, Lanza must have been averaging about one shot per second, extremely skilled use of a single firearm for a young man with absolutely no military training and who was on the verge of being institutionalized. So in the sales world, they call that reduced to the ridiculous. It's if someone says they want to get, doesn't, isn't sure if they want to get granite countertops with their new home, you explain to them that, hey, listen, over the course of 20 years, you're talking about 42 cents a day for granite countertops. And everyone goes, oh, well, in that case, I'll take it. What you were able to do in that, in this quote, was reduce it to the ridiculous, which is, this guy had to have been shooting one shot every second. And when you hear it like that, you go, oh, well, that doesn't sound plausible. Uh, of course, you're not going to hear that on the news because the, the media, the people that are trying to, uh, that are supposed to be doing their job, job and digging into this are just reading the script. And it's pretty obvious. So when I see something like that, when I get that quote from you, I put that in there because um, I think it allows people to really dig deep and realize, yeah, okay, I, that doesn't make much sense. Um, along with the, the fact that the media quoted, the media said that they found a shotgun in his glove compartment. In his glove compartment, they found a shotgun. I'm not a ballistics expert, but I'm pretty sure that a shotgun doesn't fit in the glove compartment. And yet they reported that, you know, with a straight face. And, um, and that was preposterous. And I think that a lot of people, um, I think that a lot of people saw Sandy Hook, people that were really objective. I think it might have turned a lot, awoken a lot of people up. Because I, I know many people that, for them, their their moment that woke them up was was the Sandy Hook and was was the the fact that nothing really added up. And why are you bulldozing a school? Why, 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 I I live right down the street from where Columbine High School is. So they didn't bulldoze that school. Why do they bulldoze his house? Why they, I mean, you know, these are things that, that might seem a, you know minor, but when you string them together, like you guys did in your books, um, it paints a, a picture that doesn't quite coincide with what the the standard uh, media excuse is and then when you add in the fact that police officers are being sent to florida to tell wolfgang to stop looking into this i mean that's just awkward that's just unusual behavior it's incongruent with what you would really be doing if this event was was legitimate so um yeah i tried to put i tried to put as much detail in there and sometimes the best detail i could add is words from somebody like you Oh, Charlie, it's just sensational, everything you're saying about it. You have a, a keen mind, and you're highly articulate, and you know what you're doing. I'm very, very impressed. Wolfgang, of course, got into this in an innocuous way. He's a nationally recognized school safety expert. He wanted to learn what happened at Sandy Hook so he could advise other school systems on what steps they ought to take to make sure it didn't happen to them. But he found that his phone calls were not being returned, his his FOIA requests were uh, not being responded to, and then he found these two detectives on his front porch in his gated community in South Florida telling him on behalf of the Connecticut State Police that if he continued to ask questions about Sandy Hook, he'd be prosecuted Wrong thing to say to Wolfgang Helbig, who's a bulldog, a former Florida State trooper, former U.S. Customs agent, former school administrator. 
I mean, this was a red flag to him, and of course he's been pursuing it relentlessly ever since. Yeah, and and I and I noticed that when you know he was uh, being sued by um, Lenny. Oh, what's his name? Lenny Posner. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. And that uh, lawsuit was dropped. What in the last fifteen minutes of the last day that it possibly could be dropped? Um, I think you probably. I'm not sure, but I think you called that right. That you said that it would. That's what how it would would play out. And then almost immediately after that, you see uh, he uh, Posner file a lawsuit against Alex Jones, too. So I, when I saw that, I thought, well, just wait till the last 15 minutes of the last day and he'll, he'll, he'll hold the lawsuit back because he, there's no way he could uh, withhold discovery. I mean, I mean withstand discovery. He would he'd be picked apart immediately. So I don't think Alex Jones has to worry too much about that lawsuit going, going forward. It's just a bluff on their part to try and, uh, to try and spook them. And, and, you know, to Wolfgang, like you said, Wolfgang's the wrong guy to do that to. He's a nice, seems like a very nice guy from what I, you know, the, the couple times I've talked to him, uh, just a decent human being. But when he sees something wrong like that, especially when they're using children as a cover story, I mean, that's reprehensible, you know, and he's just the type of guy that's going to get right to the bottom of it and, uh, and good for him. And that's why, one of the reasons why I thought he deserved a whole chapter in the book because i have a tremendous amount of respect for for him and he's also come right out and said listen if i'm wrong i will check myself into a mental institution which i thought was fantastic (laughs) Uh, i don't think he's wrong and i don't think he has to worry about that i think the people that um are planning things like this are the ones that need to be in mental institutions and i think as as witnesses to this it's sort of our responsibility to um to wake people up because I don't see any reason why this is going to stop anytime soon. They seem to be getting a little bit sloppier as they go, almost like they've, uh, like they brought in the junior varsity team to run these drills because um, they're falling either, either that or there are more people looking at it with a critical eye than ever before. Um, I'm from, you know, I lived in Las Vegas for a long, long time and, uh, that Las Vegas shooting is one that you guys have jumped on. Uh, there's a lot of problems with that, starting with the fact that the uh, the FBI agents there seem extremely shady. And uh, anyone that's ever been in a Las Vegas casino knows that there are literally hundreds and hundreds of cameras. They know who you are right when you walk in there. So to say that they don't have footage of uh, of, of what happened that night is is obviously preposterous and it's a it's a it's a lie, uh, but of course I can understand why they would lie because they have a business to run and if the general public understood that uh, you know there's a, a the threat of uh, mass shootings in their establishment it could scare people away, but then again you know you know these things are happening everywhere I don't know why Vegas would be an exception. Charlie, stand by. We'll be right back. Uh, I love your book. I think it's wonderful. I encourage everyone to check it out. We'll be right back with Charlie Robinson. Radio at 
www.thebigshowradio.com. And we'll be right back after this message. Was it a conspiracy? Did you know that the police in Boston were broadcasting This is a Drill, This is a Drill on bullhorns during the marathon? That the Boston Globe was tweeting that a demonstration bomb would be set off during the marathon for the benefit of bomb squad activities? And that one would be set off in one minute in front of the library, which happened as the Globe had announced. Peering through the smoke, you could see bodies with missing arms and legs. But there was no blood. The blood only showed up later and came out of a tube. They used amputee actors and a studio-quality smoke machine. Don't let yourself be played. Check out And Nobody Died in Boston either. Available at moonrockbooks.com. That's moonrockbooks.com. What the heck is the truth, Jihad? Hey, I'm Kevin Barrett, host of Truth Jihad Radio. Federal prosecutors, Department of Homeland Security agents, and curious passersby often ask me, just what is this Truth Jihad thing anyway? Well, everybody knows what truth is, but Jihad is a misunderstood term. Jihad means effort or struggle. The greater Jihad is the struggle to be a better person, while the lesser Jihad is the struggle to defend the community. Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, did say that the best Jihad is a word of truth flung in the face of a tyrant. And that's what we do here at Truth Jihad Radio! Every Friday, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, 5 to 7 Pacific, right here on Revolution Radio! Find some comfort at Willow's World, a variety of news, commentary, and poetry at Willow's Poetry Corner, where there are comfy cushions and a tempting selection of delectable comestibles. A show that's quirkily and quintessentially British, with a unique twist featuring Willow Andreessen, your host. Join Willow, Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. EST, Studio B. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and Freedomslips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, Freedomslips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. your host on The Raw Deal, where my special guest today, uh, Charlie Robinson, is the author of The Octopus of Global Control. You can find it on Amazon.com. I encourage everyone to check it out. Charlie, as you well know, another reason I wanted to feature you is because you're working on what you call your false flag matrix, which is roughly a systematic guide to how to sort these things out, the signs that what you're dealing with are a false flag Tell us a bit about it and the progress you're making. Well, it's a work in progress, really. Um, what I've done with it is, um, and I'm going to pull it up here as we're, as we're speaking, um, there are certain things that happen during these n- newsworthy events. And in and of themselves, they might not seem like much. But when you take a look at some of the other events that have happened and you start to see some overlapping 
you will come to notice that you, you well, it'll, it'll allow you to think, well, maybe there's a little something more to this than what I think. If you're, if you're just looking at that one event, it might not ring any bells, but if you go and take a look at, uh, you know, three or four different ones and you see that the same thing happens, um, it, it should be a red flag. So as an example, a drill simulating a similar event on the same day in the same area. So that, you know, could be a coincidence. If you say, well, that happened at Sandy Hook, that sounds like, a, you know, it's, it's unlikely, but it's possible. Well, then did you know that it also happened at the Aurora uh, Batman shooting? It happened 90 days early at the Orlando Pulse nightclub. It, that they ran a drill the same day in San Bernardino. They ran a drill at the exact same time in the exact same place at the Boston Marathon. And you start to go, well, hang on a second. If they're running drill, why are they running drill? What are the chances that a drill and the same event happen at the same time? Well, look at 9-11. They were running hundreds of drills. And most of them were simulating the exact same thing that happened. 7-7 seven, seven bombing is one. Uh, they were running drills simulating the same thing happening at the same uh, tube stations. Now, this is not my opinion on this. You can have, you can find the uh, interviews with the people, the guy that was running the security for on seven, seven in London, giving interviews saying we were practicing the exact same thing at the exact same time when the event that we were simulating happened. And the guys in the, in the news booth are going, well, hang on a sec. You, you were running a drill simulating explosions in these stations at the same time you were doing that you had explosions in these stations and the guy's like yeah that's exactly what i'm saying okay i I, i'm not a statistician but that can't happen okay it can't that just cannot mathematically happen and it can't happen over and over and over again so why is it happening what's happening because the event that you're seeing is not an organic event it is a pre-planned event some of them are drills some of them are real, but are set to happen, allowed to happen at a certain at a certain time in a certain place. Sometimes they sucker some big dummy in there, give him a bomb, tell him he's going to go set it off or whatever, and um, you know they 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 whack him at the same time. He doesn't know. He thinks he's part of some drill. Uh, these things happen over and over again. It's a pattern, and if you can find a couple of these things, uh, you can call them in advance. So. I'm sitting watching as the San Bernardino shooting is happening. Happen, I turn on the TV, it's happening at the same time. Uh, and I say to the person with me, I'm going to tell you five things that you're going to find out happened on this day it, that happened in this event, this event that you and I both know nothing about. It is, it is just happening right now. And you watch. If I'm right on these, am I psychic? No. It's that I know what the plan is. I understand what the drill is. So some of those, you know, running a drill at the same time, leaving a manifesto, uh, allowing the media to corrupt the crime scene. Do you remember in the San Bernardino shooting, uh, they let like 30 of the media into the guy's apartment and they say, hey, look, we found, a, we found uh, next to a Quran, <laughs> we found this detailed letter of how they were, you know, they were going to blow, they were going to shoot everyone in retaliation for the United States support of, of uh, you know war against Al Qaeda and blah 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 and all this stuff, and you you can't you would never let the media into a crime scene like that if it was a legitimate crime scene. And then on top of that, if you remember, they said that that um, apartment of theirs was a veritable bomb manufacturing facility. So you let 
30 members of the media into a bomb manufacturing facility to just wander around aimlessly without any supervision by the police. I mean, that would only make sense if you actually wanted to blow up all the media, which I'm sure that the San Bernardino police, I'm sure they considered that in the past, but it was just such a preposterous story. And you start to see these things over and over again. Mohammed Atta leaving a confession letter, putting it in his checked luggage and then checking his luggage onto the plane, and then the plane that he's going to use to fly into the, to the Twin Towers. And then that bag, miraculously not getting on the plane, but winding up getting lost and winding up somewhere, and then they found it, and then inside, it was found by an FBI agent, and inside there was a list of every, every co- you know, conspirator in the, for, for 9-11. The only part of that story that is even remotely believable is that United lost his luggage. <laughs> Everything, everything else about that story is, is, is preposterous. And, but they keep passing these things off. If you remember on, the, on two days after 9-11, you've got that guy on CNN saying, you know, authorities discovered the passport of Mohammed Atta was found three blocks away uh, from the crime scene, if you can believe that. No, we can't believe that. How dare you? How dare you try to pass that off as an actual news story? A paper passport of Mohammed Atta's was found at the foot of an FBI agent three blocks away a couple days after 9-11, in perfect, intact, without any sort of issue. I mean, come on. Right, right so, where he dropped it, Charlie. Yeah, exactly. So this, this sort of thing, the media has no respect for us. And I don't know if they should, to be honest with you. Um, we've, done, we've been quite gullible over the last couple decades. We need to take some responsibility for ourselves and be a little bit more proactive about our um uh, about where we get our news and where we you know and, and how quickly and eagerly we accept the narrative set forth by the mainstream media because they have no credibility and they should not be trusted and it's not because they just you know we just woke up one day and decided that they have a history of lying to us they have a history of working with the cia they have a history of doing what they're told and if you think anderson cooper is going to grow a conscience overnight and, 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 you know, hand in his resignation letter the next day because he just can't do this anymore, that's fine. But there'll be 100 people in line to take his spot and, and take that $10 million a year salary. So, you know, this is not going to end. The only way it's going to end is when enough people wake up to the reality that we've been lied to and we demand uh, that we're just not going to listen to them anymore. I think CNN has, has been um, exposed as being you know, one of the ringleaders in this. And so in this false flag matrix that I've put together, one of the issues is uh, CNN fueled the media frenzy with 24-7, quote, breaking news coverage. I realize that all of the networks are guilty of that, but CNN in particular seems to go over and be, you know, beyond uh, everyone else. And, and it leaked into the most recent Parkland shooting when they set up that town hall that was... You know, I mean, it was such a rigged game. It was embarrassing. And then Trump called them out on it, and they immediately went on the attack against him, you know, because they got their feelings hurt, because he was actually saying, you know, you guys are fake news. And and CNN is fake news, but they use this Machiavellian style where you project your weakness onto your enemy and, and make that his weakness so that it deflects away from you. That's what the media, that, that whole... 
you know, fake news, fake news, fake news thing. The reality is they're the fake news. And Trump called them out for it on the campaign trail. And he probably, in part of one of the reasons why he probably won was because a lot of people realized he's right. And he's a maniac, of course. He's, he's <laughs> you know, he's a sociopath and everything. But, um, but the alternative would have been I, much worse. I know, much I know, worse. I know. Charlie, just for the audience <laughs> to get a sense of what you're doing, you're creating a spreadsheet sure. and you have multiple yep. criteria going down the list, simulating a yep. similar event on the same day, EMTs denied entry, trauma helicopter called, media helicopter called, donation websites created before event happened, social media tribute sites created before event took place, crisis actors first to set the narrative, Victims benefit financially from the event. Survivors elevated to celebrities. Police withdraw from storming of the school or crime scene. Buildings demolished afterwards. CNN fueled the media frenzy with 24-7 breaking news. And then across, you got a series of Aurora Batman shooting, Orlando Pulse, Sandy Hook, Parkland. So you can do a checklist. I think this is completely brilliant, Charlie. I love it. And I do want to collaborate with you on it. I just want people to understand what you're doing. You're creating a way, a, a, a matrix for diagnosing an event to determine whether it satisfies a condition to be a false flag. And it seems to me you got it spot on. Well, thank you. Yeah, what, it will have a blank spot for the next uh, for the next event. And so then you just write the name of the next event there and go through the checklist. It's not to say that every single item will be a yes. It's not it's because they don't all line up exactly. But there are, you know, I think I've got like 42 different criteria. And you'll find that a lot of them, uh, a lot of them, uh, you know, line up with one another. And that is, you know, for every criteria you add, you're talking about the, 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 statistics you know jumping up exponentially so you get to the point where it is almost impossible to have all of these you know to have 30 different issues line up from sandy hook to parkland to orlando to las vegas and san bernardino it just becomes more of like a math problem like statistically speaking these things can't be random and they can't be accidents they have to have been created now there's a there's a bit of a variation because you've got you've got drills and then you've got false flags. And I think what we're seeing now are hybrids of it. So you've got some crisis actors mixed in with maybe some people that aren't aware of what's going on. And that muddies up the water a little bit. But, um, but that'll get sorted out, too. I mean, we'll just add more, more criteria to this matrix. And, and so when something happens and you get home from work and you turn on the news and there's, a, there's been a, you know, a new shooting somewhere, break this thing out. Go through the checklist, see what you see what over the next week uh, you find that, that matches up with this. And it might be that uh, things start to look a little phony after a while. And I've suggested listening the events in the chronological order in which they've actually occurred historically so that we can see if there's a change in the pattern, if they're adapting or varying their technique, especially because the public's becoming increasingly aware of what's going on. And I agree. I think, yeah, I'm going to make that change to do it, uh, to do it chronologically. And like you said, you'll be able to see how it, how it changes. Um, I mean, this is part, so once we realize, this is for somebody that's kind of just waking up to it all, you know, and it, it is a little unsure. And you can play along at home if you like, you know, going forward. But, but if you're, when you're plotting these out on this matrix chart, if you don't get angry, there's something wrong with you. Because these things are happening far too often, 
And they are playing us as if we are suckers that don't understand what's going on. I think we have to, to wake up to it. And part of, uh, you know, I, I don't, when I sat out to figure out what I bring to the table in terms of uh, trying to solve the, these problems that we're facing, one of the things that I thought was that I, ha- I have the ability to uh, maybe like a obsessive compulsive type of ability to organize things. So I would try and take data and organize it in a way that made some sense. And, um, you know, I'll leave the, the DNA blood work to somebody else who specializes in that. That's one of the things you've been really great about in your books is you've, you'll bring it, like you said, you, you know what you don't know. So you'll bring in a guy who's a, you know, who's a PhD and in whatever, uh, to, to fill in the blanks that you were unable to fill in. In physics and radiology or, or an aeronautical engineer or what have you. Yes. Right. Right. And there are some things that like, I'm not a structural engineer, but I know a, a controlled demolition when I see one, you know, so, so Things like this, I, uh, I decided to put in there, and, and but it's meant for people to take my book, read it, pass it along to people that you think might uh, benefit from it, and and use it as a tool to kickstart that awakening process. Uh, and you never know what 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 event it'll be for you. It might be that the Parkland shooting is is the one because it's so fresh, and it might you might say, well, I was too young to be around when you know when nine eleven was actually happening, so I don't have that emotional connection that other other people do. That's fine. Whatever whatever it is, whatever works to get you um, to realize what's going on. Who cares? Just as long as you wake up to it and um, and start to help help other people. And and I and I I walk this fine line between complaining about these things and, and, and the negativity of these events and trying to also keep it positive by saying the first step is for us to acknowledge that we have a problem and then fix it. So I think that, um, you know, where a lot of, a lot of times you, if you give negative energy to something, it grows part, maybe, maybe the best thing to do is to understand how these events are happening and then remove your emotional energy from them and do not give them any more fuel. Maybe that comes from turning off the TV or maybe it comes from, from doing something else that's positive. Maybe you are a great artist and know how to paint a picture of something like this that, that gets your point across. Do that. Whatever it is you do, whatever skill you have that can make a difference, do it. You, you check out a guy like David Dees who does all those amazing, all, all that art. I sent him my book, and in like 30 minutes, he sent me back a picture that had an octopus with eight tentacles with all these different logos, the UN logo and the banking and this and that. I was like, oh, God, it'd be so <laughs> amazing to be a great artist. You know, I'm so envious of someone that can sit down and just knock that out in 30 minutes. So um, so that was, that was what I brought to the table, and uh, I figured I would uh, try and put it out there in a way. I didn't mean for it to be 540 pages. It just kind of happened. <laughs> There's a lot to write about. Well, you're doing a, a brilliant job with it. I'm just very impressed, Charlie. I love it, all you're doing. Looking at your criteria, I think something I want to do is is to tinker with the relative weighting of the criteria because they don't all have equal value and significance. But you've done a great job of identifying a multiplicity of signs that something is wrong and you're absolutely correct to say it's not that each of them is uh, uh, necessary, but that a cluster of them is sufficient to tell you what's going on here. And it's going to change from case to case because they don't want to become too routine, too pat in the way they do it for fear that the pattern will be too easily detectable. 
So I think your approach is completely appropriate to the problem. Well, and I agree with you that, that not everything is weighted the same. There are some, some are bigger deals than others. But like, let me give you an example of something that you did that I learned from listening to you. And that one was the, the parking lot at Sandy Hook, how all the cars had been pulled in in an unnatural way, head to tail, uh, unlike you would normally park in a parking lot. That doesn't prove anything. It's just a little thing, but it is unusual. It is an unnatural way of parking every car in that parking lot. That's, you know, and you went on to talk about things like the steam. There was a lack of steam coming from the ventilation system, which, you know, based on the temperature of that day, there would have, you know, the boilers would have been on. And once again, not the smoking gun that does them in, but just one more piece, one more little point, data point to, to add to this. And as you add them all up, they start to take on more and more weight, and it becomes less and less likely that these are coincidences. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, the, this false flag matrix came out of following you to be Perfectly honest, and and your ability. That's just so good, because I argue you can actually prove it was a hoax just by looking at the photograph of the parking lot. As you observe, the vehicles are all parked facing the building, which is ridiculous, giving the driving instruction, would have you coming in off of Dickens and turning right, curling around, then parking facing away. But they're all parked facing the building because it was simpler to bring them in in a single line and put them in two by two by two by two. After all, they were only props. Who was going to even notice? And then as you observe, it was a 28-degree ground temperature day. That's below freezing. Obviously, they have school going. They'd have had to heat up the building. But there's no heat or steam rising from the building. The boilers were so decrepit from non-use since they closed the school in 2008, they couldn't fire them up. And even more telling, there's no handicapped parking. That means the school was in violation of American for Disability Act state and federal requirements. It could not have been legally functioning as a school. And I say just from the parking lot photograph alone, as innocuous as that might sound, you can prove Sandy Hope was a hoax. Oops. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to think about. If you're if you're going to lay out one of these, why don't we just talk about the fact that they actually have the what is known as an integrated capstone event, a joint venture between DHS and FEMA, and that's what this was. And they have it. It's the the document 366. I mean, that there is a there's an outline for this event. It it so once again, if you can, you don't have to know about every single drill, false flag, whatever. If you can pick apart one of these and you can dis- determine that for sure this did not happen the way they set out, you know, the way they told you it happened, then you have to start looking at other things. I, I think that there's a trap that a lot of us fall into when, when, when someone talks about, say, 9-11. They say, all right, well, you don't believe it happened that way? You tell me. How did it happen? That's not my job. I have ideas. I have an idea of how I think it happened. But do I know inside and out? No. But my job is not to... I don't have to have, I don't have to tell you exactly how it happened. It's your story you're trying to sell. You have to tell me how it happened. I don't have to tell you what all I can say with certainty is it didn't happen the way we were told. That's for sure. I do have thoughts on how it really did happen, but it doesn't matter because the first and most important thing is to prove that the official story is baloney. And it is. And, and so when people try to flip that burden of proof onto you, don't allow that. Don't let them try and don't let them do that. That's it's not your job. It's their job. They have the one. They're selling the story. 
They're the ones in front of the cameras telling you this is how it happened. Let them present their evidence. You don't have to do that. And once you pick it apart enough to find out that it is fake, then go to town on it. And then after that, start looking at the other ones. And so that's, that's, that's what I did. It was just one after another after another. And when we put our heads together, you know, we can, you know, we've got people with different skills. I mean, you put your heads together and, and someone like Wolfgang Halbig, who comes out and says, I'm a school safety administrator. I know exactly what the, what the playbook says for something like this. And it didn't happen according to the playbook. You would have a trauma helicopter there without a doubt. Was a trauma helicopter sent? No, that's a problem. Okay. So then that's one thing, you know, you dig deeper and deeper and deeper. So, um, you know, we have this responsibility now we have to, we have to, it's not going to get any better. They're certainly not going to stop on their own accord. They're not just going to wake up one day and decide that they've had enough of this. And I think Ole Damagard has done a really good job of taking it to the next step. And you guys have worked on this about explaining what he actually thinks is who this group is and how he describes it as like a traveling rock band that's going from NATO base to NATO base around the world, putting on these presentations. Damn, that's a pretty interesting idea. You know, and, and when you start to look and see um, things happening over and over again and some of the same players showing up over and over again or uh, um, media people that wind up in front of the cameras for some reason and they have ties to FBI, their family has ties to FBI or CIA or Mossad or places like that. That's, that's something that you need to examine. I think the media has been counting on us to just sort of take this uh, headline society that we live in, a soundbite society, and, and take that only, and that's all the information we, we need, and we just go and repeat it after that. We're all guilty of it. I mean, we've all done it. But, but nowadays, I don't, think we, we're, I don't think we can sit back and just accept their word for it. If they tell you that's how it happened, my, my assumption is that it happened opposite, and uh, they're going to have to prove it to me to get me to believe their side. Well, Charlie, I just love it. And, of course, the point you're making methodologically is impeccable, namely that the, the, the conspiracy research methodology is the opposite of what it's often foisted off to be because we're adopting the falsificationist methodology advocated by Sir Karl Popper, the great British philosopher of science, who explained that the only way to obtain support for a theory is by attempting to falsify it and being unsuccessful. In other words, it's unsuccessful attempts to show a theory is false that leads you to acquire evidence that it may be true, though possibly you haven't yet figured out how to falsify it. But that's the only way to proceed. It's like, uh, you know, if you're studying, when I was a, a kid, I had a penny collection, and, the you know, pennies were, they were all made of copper, you could easily infer because there are billions of examples of pennies made out of copper that all pennies are made out of copper. But if you attempt to falsify it, you discover in 1943 there was a copper metal shortage needed for the war and they made pennies out of steel. But if you didn't look for <clears throat> counterexamples, you'd never find them and you'd have the false belief that all pennies are made of copper. Interesting. Yeah, we, we um, I, I mean, I don't have a background as being a detective or anything like this, but I am learning, you know, I'm learning, I'm taking these, these stories apart. I find it interesting, uh, but, but interesting only because I feel like the more people I can get interested in this, the better chance we have to, to understand that uh, we're, we are being lied to. And then once we know that, then the next step is to just 
not allow that to happen anymore. You see, you see CNN's ratings, you see all the mainstream media's ratings in the toilet. Um, people don't trust them. They don't, they don't believe you anymore. You know, they, they, and they shouldn't believe you. And, and whether it's the fact that the, uh, the press has, has become the de facto public relations arm of the White House over the last 20 years, or, or the fact that Operation Mockingbird has been you know, discovered that says that the CIA has people in every single newsroom. I mean, th- this is information that might be helpful. Uh, when you watch your news at night, you, you get half the commercials are from the pharmaceutical industry, and then you expect that nightly news to do a, a, an in-depth uh, investigation into vaccines give me a break there's no way guy comes out and and decides that he's going to do a story on vaccines on the nightly news the head of Merck in the president of NBC's office the next morning threatening to pull a billion dollars worth of advertising from him so that'll never happen but you need to understand how these things all work together and these guys know each other I mean this is not this is not some independent you know the news is not the fourth establishment anymore they're not doing their job and uh or at least the the traditional corporate uh media is not doing their job so maybe we have to do their job for them charlie i'm so thrilled to have you here i'm already looking forward to having you come back again on the show i think it's all wonderful i highly recommend your book i think everyone out there ought to pick it up and it's just fantastic having you here well, we're on the verge of a, of a break at the top of the show, but I'm very much looking forward to continuing our conversation as soon as we return. Tony, is that you? Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Wonderful, wonderful, perfect. To go through Skype, uh, is it okay going this way? Everything's good. Everything's good. I'll be bringing you in after the break, and we'll have a three-way conversation. Okay, who is this guy? In breaking news, a visiting Syrian diplomat reported today that their population is evolving rapidly and advancing into a fifth dimensional consciousness. They are seeking peace with all cosmic cultures, which may mean that the Earth will be asked to join the prestigious Galactic Federation of Light Alliances. Please join Debbie West and Michael Hathaway on Lost Knowledge, Saturdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in Studio A. For the latest breaking news on the Star Visitor's peaceful contact and the ongoing project of cleansing the Earth. Who are you? I am the architect. I created the Matrix. I've been waiting for you. Why am I here? You are the eventuality of an anomaly which, despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision which has led you inexorably here you haven't answered my question the matrix is older than you know as you are undoubtedly gathering the anomaly is systemic 
creating fluctuations in even the most simplistic equation. Choice. The problem is choice. Right here at Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. Be here Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for Private Eye Matrix Even the government admits that 9-11 was a conspiracy. But did you know that it was an inside job, that Osama had nothing to do with it? That the Twin Towers were blown apart by a sophisticated arrangement of mini or micro nukes? That Building 7 collapsed seven hours later because of explosives planted in the building? Barry Jennings was there. He heard them go off and felt himself stepping over dead people. The U.S. Geological Survey conducted studies of dust gathered from 35 locations in Lower Manhattan and found elements that would not have been there had this not been a nuclear event. Ironically, that means the government's own evidence contradicts the government's official position. 9-11 was brought to us compliments of the CIA, the neocons of the Department of Defense, and the Mossad. Don't let yourself be played. Read America Nuked on 9-11. Available at moonrockbooks.com. That's moonrockbooks.com. Hello, my name is Mr. Rowe. I am the host of Reality Extraction on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. I utilize logic, intellect, and magic to methodically atomize, vivisect, analyze, examine, study, scrutinize, and extract an essence of reality from a fog of illusion and confusion. You can find me on Studio B every Thursday at 1700 hours Pacific Time. That's 8 p.m. Eastern. No topic taboo, no subject too strange. I strive to take a neutral standpoint during the dissection of the topic at hand. That's reality extraction with Mr. Row on Revolution Radio. Hello, this is Maggie Rose McGrath of The Conquered Show. And co-host, Marine Corps Map, coming to you on Monday and Tuesdays in Studio A, noon to 2 Eastern. And Studio B on Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. to 12 a.m. Eastern, with educational, instructional information and situational updates, often with wonderful guests on the current landscape in the U.S. and overseas. This is a go, 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 go. We are with you side to side and back to back. Please join us on Monday through Wednesdays. As well as other hosts and guests here on Revolution Radio. Radio, radio.
The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host... This is uh, Jim Fetzer, your host on The Raw Deal, with my very special guest today, the author of The Octopus of Global Control, Charlie Robinson. Charlie, you're making so many brilliant points. I'm just absolutely ecstatic to have you here. Wow, thank you. I'm, this, is, this is kind of an out-of-body experience because I've been listening to you for years and years and uh, enjoying your work, and it was part of what fueled me to kind of get into this. Um, there, you know, over the years, I would uh, hear things or watch interviews, and, and, and you know, and things would jump out at me. I'd make a little note about it. There was a so when I wrote the book, one of the things I wanted to do to give it sort of the proper context was to was to take quotes from people that had an important role in certain events. And sometimes it was like Rockefellers and Rothschilds, but not always. Uh, you know, it could very easily be George Carlin and Bill Hicks as well. But there was a quote that I heard. <clears throat> that sat with me and, and I put it in the, in the introduction to the book because it's so important and it just really summed it up very well. This is from Stephen Bassett. He's the executive director of paradigm research group. And he says this, he's talking about the truth. And he said, imagine if the truth was a huge jigsaw puzzle, a big box with 20,000 pieces. And it is the truth, the absolute truth. It is a picture of the world as it really is. You come into this world, you get an education, you're handed this box, and the idea is to put all the pieces together. And if you put the pieces together on this huge table, it will be the truth about the world that you live in. So you set about to do that. All good. A wonderful thing. Except there's a problem. It turns out that the government that you are living under has made a decision to interfere with this truth process. It is a political decision being made for political reasons to serve the state, almost never the citizens. So the government has taken a whole bunch of those pieces out of your box and has thrown them away. They're missing. Well, that's a problem, but it gets worse. They've grabbed a bunch of pieces from another box, another puzzle, and have thrown them into your box, to your puzzle. And now you have to put this thing together with an idea that what you are going to find is the truth. That is an almost impossible situation, and it is extremely effective to serve the state. Oh, that's now, when wonderful. I read that, or when I heard that, boy, I mean, we make this assumption that, we're, that we have the pieces. <laughs> Maybe we don't. Charlie, that's so wonderful. Now, usually on Thursdays, I open the lines to callers, but today I thought I'd bring in one caller who has made brilliant contribution to Sandy Hook, a really smart guy. His name is Tony Mead. He has a distinction of being an expert on Lenny Posner, among others. He's also done studies about the deaths that have followed to witnesses and key players at Sandy Hook. 
where it now looks as though we're going to have a replication at Parkland. We know one deputy is already dead. Today there's a report of a second. It's a little sketchy, but it looks as though we may have a repeat of the pattern so that the real victims turn out to be those who were involved in putting it on or investigating who know the truth and they need to silence. So it's not the purported victims who are dead, like the 20 kids and six adults at Sandy Hook, but key players who participated in putting it on and have too much inconvenient knowledge that the deep state doesn't want out. So Tony wrote an article entitled Sandy Hook, The Disappearing Witnesses. I included in in the second edition of Sandy Hook, and he's with us here today. Tony, welcome to The Raw Deal. Thank you, Jim. Good afternoon. Enjoy listening to you, Charlie. Uh, it sounds like a wonderful book. I think I'm going to have to add it to my collection. Well, I thought the oh, three of us... Much. I thought you'd be a great add to this conversation, Tony. And just, yeah, why don't you and Charlie just talk a while? Go ahead and tell him some of your thoughts about listening to him. Uh, well, some of your observations, you know, are very true. I love that that uh, putting the picture or putting the puzzle together with some of the missing pieces, and and I, we see that playing out today. I agree. At this point in time, I think the media is wholly owned and controlled by. Uh, the deep state or the CIA or, you know, whoever wants to inflict psychological uh, operations on the American public. And I think they're doing it with complete impunity and total legality, thanks to the NDAA change to the Smith-Munt Act, which was uh, written into law, what was that, in, uh, I think it was May of 2012, actually, that yeah, I think it was written then and then and, and then put into law in 2013. But uh, it makes these people that are involved in media and involved in doing the deception and the lies and the crisis actors and everyone involved uh, immune from any legal prosecution. Yeah, and you have yeah. to think about that, too. They didn't have to do anything. That law was already on the books. It took effort, and someone had to actually go to change it to allow them to use propaganda against us. You know, so it was like it was. It wasn't just an expired. And now, you know, they set out to change the Smith Munt Act so that it would be legal for the United States government and media to to use propaganda against its own citizenship. So you have to ask, why did you do that? <laughs> like, why didn't you just leave it the way it was? Um, and I think that tells you that. Well, they look at look at the amount of they plan to use it. There's a lot of industries sprung up out of this, such as CrisisActors.com and, and uh, all these uh, providers of moulage and all the drill stuff. I mean, there's there's so many people. I mean, out of 9-11 came the, the creation of the TSA and DHS, which has employed hundreds of thousands of people and cost trillions of dollars. So I think a lot of the thought process that goes on at the top of the echelon, the people that are really in charge behind, you know, above the president, the Council on Foreign Relations, perhaps the Bilderberg Group, but people that, that get together and decide how society should evolve and change. They need to have employment. You need to have people keep busy. And so they have, you have to have a continually expanding economy. And really, some of the stuff they do is quite brilliant. I mean, think of all the people that are employed by DHS and the military and the, uh, you know, all these different agencies that are basically just shuffling people around, keeping everyone busy and, and protecting us from 
the, the invisible enemy, the whatever boogeyman of the month may be, you know, but creating that fear creates industry, it creates business, it creates economic opportunity for people to survive, you know? If people are unsure... I'm not saying it's a them. good thing, I'm just saying that it's brilliant. No. <laughs> no, I, I I understand. Yeah, if people are un, unclear or, or unsure about the media's role in being a, a you know a partner in this crime, let me read you a quote from David Rockefeller in 1991 at the Bilderberg Group. He said, "We are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other great publications whose directors have attended our meetings and respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years." It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subjected to the lights of publicity during those years. But the world is now more sophisticated and prepared to march toward a world government. The supernatural sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable to the national auto-determination practiced in the past centuries. So there you go. Maybe listen to David Rockefeller. He's telling you. He's thanking the media for keeping their big mouths shut because we wouldn't be able to do this without your, you know, without your silence. Right. So you know. exactly, and basically saying that it's a repeal of democracy and the democratic process, which anyone who's awake should certainly know that your vote for Donald Trump did not get him elected. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, that it's, uh, I mean David Rockefeller right there shows you that, that they want to be the government that. And they don't want to be uh, dictated by the people, you know. No, not at all. And they and they go ahead and put people in positions of power that are that are either uh, on board with their plan or incompetent. There's a there's here's a secondary quote from Wolf Blitzer, CNN. He says, "When I finished grad school, I sort of fell into journalism. Someone mentioned that there was an entry level job at the Reuters news agency. I applied, and to my amazement, I got the job. <laughs> well, to our amazement as well, Wolf. I mean." He has he's made a very nice uh, life for himself by reading you know the the news that's handed to him and and you know and doing no critical thinking of his own um, and and perhaps that has something to do with the fact that he has you know dual U.S. citizenship with another country that shall remain nameless in the Far East or in the Middle wow. East. But uh, have, um, have this, you seen? I never realized how many employees of CNN are quote unquote dual citizens or Israelis. Tony, Tony, I mean, get this. I mean, get this. I, 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 I just received a chart from a friend. We'd been discussing it uh, of of CNN uh, and of uh, NBC and of the New York Times showing a hundred of their uh, members and officials, a hundred for each of them, all of whom are dual U.S. Israeli citizens. All of them. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> you want to know what the shortest list? Of, the short. The shortest list in the world is the list of dual U.S. Iranian citizens. <laughs> I'm sure it is. nobody. And uh, Iran actually is is not only Iran is not only a peace loving country that hasn't launched a war of aggression against any other nation since get this 1775, where the Constitution wow. began ratification in 1787. George Washington was elected president in 1789. So for longer than the United States has existed as a constitutional republic, Iran has not launched a war of aggression against any other nation. And yet you have Donald Trump and his administration claiming that Iran, Russia, and China are sources of instability in the world. We should be such a source of instability. In fact, the great sources of instability are Israel, the United States, and Saudi Arabia. 
I mean, the situation is inside out, upside down. It's stunning. It is. Yeah, I take no. You know, I just realize Iran and Syria and North Korea stand in the way of the the world order plan. Right? To have one world government, you have to have full cooperation of everyone, and they are not willing to cooperate with the plan. They they choose to maintain their sovereignty, and that's why they are demonized by the media. Right? And that that's a that great quote from you know. Years ago, when they're talking, when um, was it Richard Clark who, that that was talking about getting the the document from from uh, Rumsfeld talking about how they were going to invade seven countries in five years? I mean, that was eye opening to a lot of people. They said, "Well, wait a second, that that it sounds like maybe that there really was a plan to do that. If you look at the list of them, uh, maybe they went out of order a little bit, but uh, they certainly seem intent on uh, on following that plan. And then you just have to wonder, well. Whose plan is that? It's not my plan. I don't want to do that. It's probably not your plan. Who's coming up with this crazy plan to do this? And so who's driving the boat? You know, who's steering the ship? Is, is, it, is it our military or is it somebody else? And so to dig, dig into that, you, you start to notice that there is a disproportionate number of people that have uh, a potential conflict of interest, meaning the dual citizenship, that could put them in a position where they might have allegiances to another country instead of ours. And I find that to be a, a, a problem. Uh, it's, it's not to say that they will definitely act on it, but it presents the, the conflict of interest problem. And I think that in, in God forbid you bring that up, you will be labeled as an anti-Semite or a, what a, a conspiracy theorist or anything. It's just the facts. I mean, <laughs> to, well, to bring it up, is, is we should discuss it. You know? The fact, it is the fact indeed. It is the fact, indeed, Cynthia McKinney revealed a couple of years ago that when new members of Congress arrive in Washington, they're asked to sign a pledge to put the interests of Israel ahead of those of the United States. And those who decline find themselves confronted with a well-financed alternative candidate the next time around, or maybe that their district has been redrawn and they no longer have a seat. She was able to overcome those obstacles to serve eight terms. But even Dennis Kucinich, whom I regarded as the smartest member of Congress, had his district redrawn and was unable to survive. A friend recently asked me, did I know how many members of the current Congress had refused to sign the pledge? I did not know. And he held up one finger of one hand. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, everyone's search for truth and you know what's really going on in the world today i think will eventually if you want to if you're looking for the source it eventually takes you back to the protocols of zion and, and uh, as much as everyone not everyone but people want to dismiss it as a hoax that was created in the 1920s if you listen or read the protocols of zion you see it played out in the world today and as zionism uh, and, and Judaism, the same thing. I, I don't think so. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I live in South Florida among, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of Jewish people, and, and many of them are, are my friends. I don't think that they're complicit in any sort of uh, plan to dominate the, the world or anything like that. But they all have a very peculiar allegiance to Israel that supersedes their allegiance to their fellow citizens. And they all have that uh, bond with each other that supersedes the Tony, allegiance that I have with my fellow American Tony, uh, let, me, let me pick up on that and draw a parallel. You know, uh, uh, 
we have the FEMA manual for the exercise at Sandy Hook. Uh, two days with the rehearsal on the 13th, going live on the 14th, very specific about dates and times. There are people who want to mm-hmm. insist it's a fabrication. And the point I make is that, well, everything fell out in accordance with the manual. You had the sign, everyone must check in. It says right in the manual, everyone must check in. Uh, refreshments and, and restrooms are a standard part of FEMA exercise. We had the porta potties in place already in advance. Wolfgang Halbig was dumbfounded when he asked who delivered the porta potties and wouldn't be told because it would have shown they were delivered the day before and blown the whole thing. You had pizza and bottled water at the firehouse, refreshments. You had so many with name tags on lanyards. Well, FEMA driller organized with color-coded name tags on lanyards. You had parents bringing children to the scene where no parent would bring a child to the scene of a child shooting massacre, but because it was the rehearsal, they were treating it as a festive occasion. You go through the protocols, and while people want to say that just as the, the FEMA manual for Sandy Hook is supposed to be a fabrication, the protocols are supposed to be a myth, but you see it's being played out in accordance with the protocols one step after another after another. I mean, it's ridiculous. If it's a fabrication, there's a stunning corroboration and correspondence with the actual events well, taking place in the world with this supposedly fabricated document. I, you know, I don't know that a lot of people know that, but I am the one that found that document. And actually, I, I, when I say I found it, there was a, there was a YouTube videographer who found it. His name was Jay, oddly enough, Jay Lewis, I think his name was. But he found it on a website that said, uh, don't, do not try to find me. Right? And that's where this document was posted in the deep web. I think it's still there. I certainly have the link to it. And then I wound up, I was like, what are the odds of me finding this document? But what I immediately did was I took it and I sent it to a Facebook friend of mine who I've known for years who works for FEMA. And I asked him, is this a legitimate document? And he said, yeah, it looks just like the kind of stuff that we see every day. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, those who want to pretend that it was a fabrication or just, you know, being the devious weasels that we have to deal with. And, you know, like Lenny Posner, who has 23 different websites he used to attack people who are seeking to expose Sandy Hook truth. And I got to tell you uh, how much I admire the way you've been dealing with him, my friend. I think you have done more to expose uh, Lenny Posner than anyone else, though I think that maybe Wolfgang is coming a close second. Tracy's certainly doing a good job as well, but, I mean, you're doing a terrific uh, piece of work on this. Well, I'd like to have that guy in in a courtroom, but he apparently can't appear in a courtroom, most likely because he has so many aliases and probably can't prove what his real name is, you know? But... You know, I, I do he, he's I can't so the only reason he's, that he was ever Tony he's so obviously the only a he was ever in the spotlight is because he's he's attacked me repeatedly. He wrote an article that appeared in the Hartford Courant demonizing the Sandy Hook hoax Facebook page and uh you know, calling us a, a haven for pedophiles and child stalkers and you know, I think these people accuse us of what they are. Well Tony, you've been doing a brilliant job and uh you know, the fact that he abandoned his suit against Wolfgang right at the point when discovery was going to take place, Wolfgang could have dismembered him. 
And I'm very troubled. I'm very troubled about Alex Jones because this, this these lawsuits from Lenny Posner and Neil Haslin are so obviously unjustifiable. It's so easy to prove that Sandy Hook was a hoax now, especially given Wolfgang has turned up photographs of Sandy Hook kids, one eight of the girls all grown up looking real perky and cute, juxtaposed with the photos they used for them as decedents of the Sandy Hook shooting. Another of four of the Sandy Hook guys where the fourth of them is none other than Noah Posner all grown up where we'd established long since that it was actually Noah Posner was a fiction based on photographs of Michael Vabner as as a child. I mean, we have the kind of proof that's just stunning. Not to mention that that uh, Lenny sent Kelly Watt a, a, a death certificate for Noah that turned out to be a fabrication. I mean, that all by itself proves the whole thing was a hoax. Obviously, if he'd had a, a real son who'd really died, he would have been able to send a real death certificate, not a fake one. But this is just stunning. So he backs out. I'm worried that Alex Jones is going to capitulate to destroy the idea of a conspiracy theorist because he's a stereotype and attempt to tarnish all of us who do serious research on conspiracies. Well, absolutely. And Alex Jones is not one of us. He is one of them. He is a part of media, right? And maybe at one time he was representative of a truth community, but I think that he has evolved into someone who makes a living, a very comfortable living, by telling the line. You know? And I what I predict, and, you know, I, I mean, I, I hate to assume, but what I predict is that Alex Jones will settle out of court and make a speech uh, apologizing that these people actually did lose children and he never meant to hurt anyone's feelings and, and, and put it behind him, you know? And, 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 and of course, in the meantime, that's going to allow the, the mainstream media to jump uh, down our throats as truthers, the same way they use Lucy Richards, Wolfgang's doing amazing work with Lucy Richards. Lucy Richards, if you're not familiar with the story, is, the, is a woman who called Lenny Posner and uh, called him names and said, death is coming for you, and was prosecuted for uh, submitting death threats over a federal communications line or something like that. That's how it got into the federal court and sentenced to five months in prison. She's a mentally ill woman on food stamps and disability who has no one to help her defend herself against any of these accusations. There was never a police report filed. This would be simple phone harassment charge if it was anyone else, but because it's Lenny Posner, the uh, directive came straight from the uh, Connecticut FBI to have her arrested and uh, prosecuted. So, um, you know, this is stuff that the media can grasp and use as propaganda to sway the opinion of the masses to think that people like us that are seeking truth are crazy and violent and uh, to be feared and are dangerous and need mental help, you know? Well, we might need mental help, but it's not because of this. <laughs> it's not because of yeah, mistaken beliefs I, I, about conspiracies, including Sandy Hook. Yeah, well, I, I'm doing well, a lot I mean, of work on Parkland right now. But Parkland, which, you know, Parkland is Sandy Hook too, but yeah. they, they've they, they've they've uh, they've polished it a little bit because now they have the victims can be outspoken and vocal, and they've recruited these children 
to perpetuate the story of death and, and horror. And okay, stand by, stand by. We're going to a break, and we'll be back with my featured guest, Charlie Robinson, and my special call-in, Tony Mead. We'll be right back. Were they conspiracies? Have you ever wondered if we really did go to the moon? If Paul McCartney died in 1966, did you know that Saddam Hussein died in a B-1 bomber strike on 7 April 2000? replaced by one of his doubles, who was put on trial and hanged in his place. Or that Osama bin Laden died in Afghanistan on the 15th of December 2001 and was buried in an unmarked grave in accordance with Muslim traditions. That the raid in Pakistan was faked. There's more, including four chapters about the end of World War II, which prove that events we've been taught were very different than we have been told. Don't let yourself be played. Read, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either. Available at moonrockbooks.com. That's moonrockbooks.com. Looking for a nightcap to fill your listening needs? Come join us on Spaced Out Radio with me, Dave Scott, right here on Revolution Radio. Monday through Friday for three hours a night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, we will take you down the supernatural path. From ET contact to the paranormal and all of the spiritual, cryptid, and conspiracy stories in between, you can find us right here on Revolution Radio at SpacedOutRadio.com, on Twitter at SpacedOutRadio, and on Facebook at SpacedOutRadio Show. Spaced Out Radio, it's a night of talk and interaction. Are you experienced? Even the government admits that 9-11 was a conspiracy. But did you know that it was an inside job? That Osama had nothing to do with it. That the Twin Towers were blown apart by a sophisticated arrangement of mini or micro nukes. That Building 7 collapsed seven hours later because of explosives planted in the building. Barry Jennings was there. He heard them go off and found himself stepping over dead people. The U.S. Geological Survey conducted studies of dust gathered from 35 locations in Lower Manhattan and found elements that would not have been there had this not been a nuclear event. Ironically, that means the government's own evidence contradicts the government's official position. 9-11 was brought to us compliments of the CIA, the neocons of the Department of Defense, and the Mossad. Don't let yourself be played. Read America Nuked on 9-11. Available at moonrockbooks.com. That's moonrockbooks.com.
The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. Well, your host, Jim Fetzer, is simply outstanding to have Charlie Robinson here and to have a call-in from Tony Mead. I couldn't be happier. This is about as perfect as it gets when it comes to talk radio. Charlie, why don't you go ahead and say a few words, and I'll bring back in Tony. Go ahead, Charlie. Well, I need to learn more about Tony because he seems to have this uh, has a pretty good sense of what's going on, with, uh, especially with Noah Posner. But, I mean, I, I think that might be a formula that's not going to be limited just to him. And you might see this happen over and over again. I know you sort of got into a little bit about Parkland. I mean, you're, you see this, uh, you see sort of the main characters uh, come forward, the stars of the show. And then, uh, you know, they have, you know, when, once they do that, they put themselves in a position for people to scrutinize them and say, Hey, you know, who are you? Are you really who you say you are? Are you really, uh, you know, a kid that was at, uh, at Parkland, uh, you know, in your, in your, whatever social studies class when the, when the shooting started, or, you know, you gave an interview and you said you were at home three miles away. And as soon as you heard it, you got on your bike and rode as fast as you could to school. Okay. Which is it, you know? Right. So right. I wonder well, if David Hawk. Well, Parkland is, new, is another, uh, you know, is the, Par- Parkland's another Ziocon operation. I mean, the producer is Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She's a dual U.S. Israeli citizen. She's the corrupt entity who sabotaged the campaign of Bernie Sanders. She was worried about the forthcoming Ewan uh, uh, Awan trial, where she allowed these Pakistani IT guys to spy on members of Congress. For some reason, the Congress haven't gone after her hammer and tong, but she's deserving. She's as corrupt as they get. She conspired with Dina Katz, who's a Hollywood producer, director, also Jewish, of course, who's responsible for Dancing with the Stars, who's experienced in doing these mega marches and events where they had to apply with a letter of intent 180 days at six months in advance of their March for Our Lives on the 24th, which was, of course, designed to exploit the events of Parkland, which obviously were known to occur because they were staged with the complicity of the Israeli sheriff, uh, David uh, uh, Scott Israel, who's not only an Israeli, sh- uh, a Jewish sheriff, but he campaigned citing the Talmud, which espouses a theory of Jewish superiority over other human beings, or known as the Goyim, where the Jews are the, of this ilk are entitled to exploit the Goyim, lie, cheat, steal, even kill them with impunity, because by that doctrine, the Jews are as superior to other human beings as human beings in general are superior to the animals. It's a variation on the the protocols. It's a very deep problem where we have to distinguish between the good Jews and the bad Jews, just as we have to distinguish between the good Muslims and the bad Muslims and the good Christians and the bad Christians. Example of bad Muslims being the Wahhabists from the Saudi Arabia who, who believe in beheading the infidels and turning their women into sex slaves. I mean, it's a grotesque situation, but we have to sort it out, and that's another dimension of what we're dealing with here. Charlie, a few more words, and I'll bring back Tony. 
Well, I I try to make it clear in the book that there is a difference between being Jewish, being Israeli, and being a Zionist. And just because you're Jewish doesn't make you a Zionist, and you don't have to be Jewish in order to be a Zionist. Joe Biden says so himself. He says, you don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist. I consider myself a Zionist, okay? Um, So this is not, you know, when people bring this up, when, when I was younger, the first time I heard the term Zionist... I mean, I, honestly, I think it was like from the Jerry Springer show when some guy was like, you know, wearing some skinhead and with goose stepping around the stage. And I just assumed, you know, he was calling Jews Zionists. I just assumed it was a negative term. Uh, I didn't really know what it meant. As I figured out what it is, it's not it's not a negative term. It's a description of a, of a philosophy. Yeah. Um, now, that can become that can be turned into something negative. But but in and of itself, calling someone a Zionist is not an insult. It's just, it's more of a description than anything. Um, once I started to understand that, I looked at the, uh, you know, the, 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 the strategy, the uh, painting people as, uh, um, you know, anyone that, that, conf- that contradicts the official story is not just wrong, they're anti-Semitic, you know, and that is, that is the, uh, that's the go-to insult. So, um, you know, which You're not a, allowed to have a disagreeing opinion, because that, you know, which is just an opinion. If you disagree, they slap you with the uh, anti-Semitic label. Now, that I detailed in a chapter of my book called Student Body Right. Student Body Right is a football play that USC ran in the 60s when they had OJ. It was basically hand the ball to OJ, everybody run to the right, block everybody, and he's going to just score because it's an unstoppable play. They ran that until somebody learned how to stop it, and they never did, and they won the national championship. And I say that, that student body right these days is, the, is their strategy, which is if anyone criticizes Israel, they call them anti-Semitic, period. They're going to run that play because it's effective, and they're going to continue to run that play until it stops working. So right now, all you have to do is offer a differing opinion, and you will be slapped anti-Semitic, and the next thing you know, you know they're gonna, there's going to be stories of you playing golf with Adolf Hitler. So that's how it goes. But you need to know what the, stra- you need to know what the plan is. You need to know that that's coming um, in order to defend yourself. I mean, you're not even allowed to have a difference of opinion. If you bring that up, and, and I quote that in, in the book, they say that in Europe, they'll call you a Holocaust denier. In the United States, they will call you anti-Semitic. We do that because it works like a charm, and, and that was a um, you know quote from one of the one, one of the high-ranking ministers there. So it, it's not even a secret anymore. So as soon as you see that, as soon as you see that label get slapped on you for having a difference of opinion, you probably when you start taking flack, you know you're right over the target. You know they wouldn't be freaking out about it if there wasn't something that they were hiding. So uh, uh, you know getting getting that that label slapped on you is meant to be an insult, but if you understand where it's coming from and why they do it, you know, you can defend yourself against it. Tony, Tony, isn't it wonderful to have this brilliant guy on our side speaking out like this, dissecting things right and left? I think he's sensational. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we all agree 100%. And, uh, you know... Thank you. Thank you, Jim. The check's in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to look into reading your book and... uh you know, it's good that we're getting an affirmation from each other. I, due to my, you know, I appeared, I know you don't too, know too much about me, Charlie, but I, I recently appeared on a Vice video. They had interviewed, uh, Vice Media had interviewed uh, Professor Tracy and Wolfgang Halbig and then met with me. 
at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School and filmed me for they spent about three hours with me and then and then edited it down to a few short clips which uh, they used to try to make me look uh, like I was insensitive and cold-hearted and and uh, whatever. But since that time, which is like uh, six weeks, maybe five or six weeks ago. I've gotten death threats and I hope your child gets killed in a mass casualty incident. You need to get mental help. I hope, I mean, an actual people that I know have called me and said, they'll never talk to me again. So when you live amongst people that think so much differently than you, and when you live amongst a lot of Jewish people like I do, it's, it's not easy to be outspoken on what you believe to be true. In, In fact, you know, one of the greatest, uh, memes that's going around now is truth is a new hate speech in a time of universal deception. And that's what I'm facing. I mean, I live here today. Yesterday I played golf at Coral Springs Country Club, which is right near the school. Today I did an estimate for my business up there and I drove past the school just to see what's changed. They've removed all of the uh, memorial things that were in front of the school, but there's still uh, state troopers at, and, and BSO at every entrance to the school. There is a Broward Sheriff's Office, uh, what do you call that, crow's nest type apparatus in the parking lot, keeping watch over everything. I really think they don't want anyone to go into that building where this alleged shooting took place because if someone goes in there, they're going to find out there's no evidence of anything ever happening there, you know? So, and I, I look into the characters, not just the mainstream, the David Hogg and the, and the, uh, Emma, Emma Gonzalez. Gonzalez, they were, they were appointed in their role, but some of the other people that are involved, such as Meadow Pollock, whose father, Andrew Pollock interrupted Donald Trump to talk about how his daughter's the last one. And you're going to increase school security throughout the country. And I went to her memorial service here in Parkland and, and met him and shook his hand and, uh, listen to him spew out how he's going to make a difference. And he's a, he's a politician. He's not a, he's not a man who lost his child. She she didn't even live with him. And, and then I find out Alexa Meadnick, which is the girl, the blonde haired girl who said that she was walking through the hall when they heard shots fired. And she was actually with the suspect. And she looked at him and said, I'm surprised it wasn't you. And he gave her a, huh? And anyway, I mean, I've spoken to her father. And if I come to find out today that Alexa Miednik and Meadow Pollock are best friends and they're on Facebook and they're Facebook friends and there's pictures of them together. And they're both from a place called Skipack, Pennsylvania. So what the hell is going on there? The more, the more you look at the anomalies surrounding this event, it's, it's, it just keeps raising your eyebrows, you know? And, uh, so, so, I mean, one of the things that was said about Sandy Hook, which is probably one of the greatest comments I've ever seen, and it's included in my article. I, I've written several published articles, Charlie, including investigating the Parkland shooting and satanic pedophilia within our society and another five articles on Sandy Hook. But one of the quotes about Sandy Hook for me, that makes the most sense is it says, for me, there is no real proof anywhere it was a hoax. Proof that is ironclad, per se. It is the massive cumulative effect of incredulous uncertainty in reports by all entities involved. It is the continual and pervasive contradiction at every level of the story 
that proved to me beyond any doubt that it was a hoax, planned and executed in such a manner as to introduce as many contradictions as possible. The government, unable to create a perfect hoax, created an imperfect hoax with many, many layers of contradiction. And the belief of the entire event rests upon the willingness of the viewer to detach from reality and join in a deep-seated psychosis, a total break from any critical reality that they may hope to enjoy. It's much easier to believe that the children died a horrible death than to believe that a massive government would pull off this type of hoax and multi-million dollar fraud. People want to believe in death, destruction, horror, and wretchedness because the alternative is the government is totally and completely corrupt. That cannot be entertained by the masses. Otherwise, they would have to rise up and destroy the government, and they do not have the will nor the courage to do so. And that is what we're faced wow. with. Wow. That's a that's a that's a that's a good one right there. I I just that's a brilliant quote. I, Who wrote that, Tony? Pat Jack. Just brilliant. Pat Jack. Pat Jack is mostly famous for his shadow analysis of the the police photographs from Sandy Hook that uh, basically uh, betray their timeline of the event. Very good. He, he's a guy who does shadow analysis. Yeah. So Char- he takes the photographs and, and very, can figure out what time the pictures were Very, taken. very good. Charlie, go ahead. Well, I watch these things, these interviews. Um, when you talk about Parkland, the Stacy LaPelle, the teacher interviewing, you know, when they, she says, I looked down the hall uh-huh. and then I saw this guy in, right. in the, the full, what did she call it? Body armor. Jacket gear. Yeah. Um, my response to that is, where, where's the, if the media was, a, was the real media, where's the follow-up question? Why didn't that interviewer say, whoa, 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 what are you talking, hang on a second. What? The exactly. shooter was wearing full black body armor? The fact that there wasn't a rebuttal to that, um, that's just either you've got incompetent reporters, which is totally possible, uh, or they are instructed not to go off script, which is probably, you know, more likely. But I remember the morning of the Las Vegas uh, shooting, uh, when my wife said, uh-oh, uh, something bad happened in Las Vegas. So I turned on the TV. I'm sitting at the edge of the bed. And within three minutes, I hear them say, uh, you know, lone gunman, this or that. And I turned around and I said, lone gunman. As soon as you hear lone gunman, you know it's not a lone gunman. I mean, here we are. John Benet Ramsey case. We've got the mom, the dad, and the brother in the house, and they still can't tell you who did it. They didn't tell me that CNN figured out the Las Vegas thing in four hours, that it was a single lone gunman case, break. It's just not possible. <laughs> when you hear that, alarm, alarm bells should be going off. Like, uh, you know, it's okay if they want to say, we don't know what happened. We're still investigating it. We'll get you an answer when we can. But it's like a sprint to establish the narrative. And whoever gets the narrative established first, that becomes the lead. That becomes the real story in the minds of the viewers. And then that story, every other story is saddled with the responsibility of knocking that one off. So, uh, you know, you, you get people in a, in sort of just listening to the headlines, they hear the first, the first story It goes in their head. That's the way it is. And, and you have a much harder time to convince them otherwise, which is, which is interesting because you would think that the, you know, if you presented a different story that was much more believable and had more evidence that it would be easy to knock it off. It's really not the case. It becomes uh, an uphill battle. So, uh, um, that's part of the media culture. That's part of how we, we've been trained to, uh, you know, oh, outsource our critical thinking to other people. 
My own family believes the television more than they believe me, and I'm certainly not alone in that. You know, it's people like you and me and, and Jim who have had to take the reins here in the responsibility of what's uh, investigative journalism. I am a co-founder of, of Independent Media Solidarity along with Peter Klein, and uh, we recently have our website, imsreporting.com, where, you know, we are hoping to become one of the many voices of alternative media, but also to try to unite us because the only way that there's ever been change throughout history is through violent uprising. You know, that's the way that the women got the right to vote. Blacks got the right to vote. The, the industrial workers got the right to uh, having a day off. I mean, they used to work 12 hours a day, seven days a week until unionization. And that did not come without a bloodbath. The federal marshals put down strikes uh, you know, the, the federal government put down women protesters and, and they'll, they'll put down whatever uprising we have. And I think that's part of what the big push for disarmament is all about, because uh, have you seen the meme that the Germans marched onto the trains willingly because the German military had guns and they did. First they were disarmed and then they were obedient. And that's what you see being perpetuated on us, but also the mental health protocols changing and the education system. I mean, they're raising a bunch of complicit, obedient slaves. The total liberalization of the education system was demonstrated in the aftermath of Parkland as students participated in walkouts and were encouraged by their teachers to walk out of class. My own child's school had 17 empty desks and released 17 doves into the air in, in a of strange ritual of liberalization. And if you did not participate in it, you were ridiculed and called a Trump supporter and a, and a redneck and a, a racist. So you were actually bullied by the fellow students for not participating in their liberalized demonstrations. It's, it's insane what's going on in the world today. Yeah. I come from a, a kind of an unusual position on the gun thing because uh, I, I don't like guns. I'm not into guns. I've had family, you know, I've had friends that have been impacted ne negatively by gun accidents. I don't, I don't come from that as a, you know, as a lover of guns, but at the same time, I understand history and I understand what Mao, Mao said is you disarm the populace before the slaughter, you know, and if you think that that can't happen and people go, Oh God, you just, you know, you just fear mongering or, you know, you're, you know, give me a break. Well, listen, it happened in China with Mao. It happened in Russia with Stalin. It happened in, in Germany with Hitler. It happened in Cambodia with Pol Pot. It happens. And it always sounds insane before it happens to bring it up. But you have to understand that there is a strategy. And the strategy is make sure that the people that you're going to take over do not have the ability to fight back. And like I said, I don't come from a, a world of where I'm a gun fan and I love guns. But the, I also don't like getting dragged out of my house and shot in the back of my head. You know what I mean? Because that stuff happens and, and we turn away from it because it's so horrible to think about that we just sort of have normalcy bias and think, well, you know what, that was then, this is now, that sort of stuff doesn't happen anymore. It does. It does. And it starts by taking guns away from people. Um, and, and, and there is an incremental uh, process in place that's happening. It's undeniable. You can watch it. You can see it unfold. If you understand where the, where the finish line is, then you can understand what, what moves are being made to get you to the finish line. It makes a whole lot more sense when you look at it like that. And it's, you know, it starts with bump stocks and, you know, long clips, and then it goes to, you know, 
rifles themselves and and handguns. I mean, they, they will, it'll be the death by a thousand paper cuts and it is extremely effective because they understand that that has to happen. Uh, because you can't, you, you have to disarm the populace before, you know, if you want to control them fully. Absolutely. Charlie, you and I are cut from the same mold. I, and I, I, you know, I don't own guns and I'm not a big, I think they're dangerous. And I think if you have one, you're more likely to get shot. But I do believe in the second amendment. And just as you pointed out, it's not something pulled out of thin air. There's really good reasons for us having that. Unfortunately, guys, I got to take my daughter to work, so I'm going to have to. Tony, cut Tony, I can't thank you enough for joining us. I'm going to give you a call later, my friend. Thank you so much. You were wonderful, wonderful. Glad to have you here. I want to have you back. All right, thank you for having nice me. Nice to meet you, Tony. Hopefully, we can uh, we can communicate further. All right, we guys, will. We will. The rest of the show. Thank you so right. much, Tony. You're welcome. Charlie, I've just been thrilled to have you here. I mean, it's just wonderful to hear such a clear voice of sanity. And frankly, it's disappointing in this world there are so few. Well, I think, Jim, we're going to nominate you for best laugh on the Internet because uh, (laughs) nobody does it quite like you. Uh, And it's been a treat for me because, uh, like I said, you've been instrumental in my awakening to these things. You know, It, it, it... uh, I don't know, you know, there's probably people out there listening to it that are, are just starting to understand this. And it, 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 it's always fuzzy at first. And then when you look back, you go, oh, well, there was one thing that will trigger you, you know, to, to understand that, that what we're being told is not exactly reality. Uh, in my case, like I said, it was Building 7. That just looked funny. And a little bit of more investigation turned up that there there were some major inconsistencies. Someone that's maybe younger than me, uh, it, it might be the Parkland thing that's that they just say, you know, something about that seemed a little bit too organized in advance, a little, you know, to, to try and get a bunch of people together to plan something like that. You know, it's worth investigating a little deeper. If you find one problem with it, maybe you find another and another. And then by then that starts you down, you know, down the proverbial rabbit hole. And uh, there's a lot to, uh, there's a lot to discover. But I think one of the most important things to remember the whole time is that we have the ability to change this. You know, we have the numbers of people. There are more of us than there are of them. And we, and they, they require our consent. And we have the ability to remove our consent from a lot of these things and say, you know what, I'm not doing that. I'm not participating in this. You can't get me to do that. I'm done. And that is, that is a very, uh, that, that's something that we need to remember that uh, at, at our core, um, because of the way that it's set up, uh, we retain the right to uh, not comply, and that's and that's how I end the book was was the concept of of noncompliance with unjust laws. I'm in favor if you've got laws that make sense and keep people safe. I can understand that. I'm not I'm not somebody that says all laws need to be uh, abolished, but there are a lot of laws that have been passed uh, due to politicians that have been compromised, and these laws are insane <laughs> they're, they're they're nuts and they shouldn't be laws and you look back and you understand how it came into the you look at like the uk with the the fishing rights that were given up to the uh, to the eu and that was done under ted heath and he's a, he was a notorious pedophile who had you know two people had him controlled for years and years and years so now you start to understand how these really awful decisions have been put into place a lot of times it's because um the politicians that have enacted them have been controlled uh, and, and 
that happened in the seventies with Ted Heath. It happens to, you know, to this day, if you think it doesn't happen, uh, you know, just take a look around and wonder why so many politicians are so screwed up. It's not an accident. They've floated to the top because they are, they have the ability to be controlled. They don't want good people up at the top. <laughs> they don't want people with no skeletons in their closet. They can't make them do what they want them to do that way. You've got to get somebody who is a total uh, scumbag. And that's why you get a, 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 a presidential race between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. That's what you get. Well, I want to say, Charlie, everyone out there needs to buy your book, The Octopus of Global Control. Uh, you, you, you will be glad you did. Uh, uh, Charlie, you're just doing a sensational job out there. I'm just tremendously well, impressed, and I, I can't wait to have you back well, on the show again. Uh, anytime. It's, it's honestly, uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed by the compliments. Thank you very much, Jim. I, I, uh, I respect your work a you, tremendous you, amount. And, uh, you deserve each and every word. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll be back whenever you want me to. And let's collaborate. Let's finish up this matrix. I think that we can put it out there. Yep. yep uh, and yep. it might help people visu visualize some of this stuff or give and them I, a, like a tangible uh, thing to take a look at to uh, examine on their own. Do your I own think thinking. Don't believe anything I say. <laughs> Tony, Tony, will be, Tony will be a, a strong ally and collaborator on this project. That's a reason I wanted to bring him in. I think he's just perfect. He's a super Fantastic. smart guy like you, and he has so much to say and Thank so you. much to contribute. And Charlie, I'm just so yeah. damn happy about this. I can't begin to tell you, really, honest to Pete, really, just Thank terrific. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, and, and congratulations on the work that you've been doing. You've, 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 changed, you've changed the world. You really have. The octopus of global control. You don't want to miss it. Oh. Charlie Robinson, you're just a sensation, my friend, just a sensation. And having you and Tony here was uh, just a delight today. I'm just so glad that this was how I planned it out. It worked uh, wonderfully. Well, I think your matrix is just sensational, too. And, you know, we'll tweak, we'll tweak it and tinker and put them in, in sequence chronologically, and we'll see how they're refining their technique because, mark my words, this isn't going to end anytime soon. They They won't. They won't stop these phony staged attacks and their attempts to take our guns until we defeat them, and it's going to have to be a direct confrontation. Charlie, thanks again. Jim Fetzer, your host on The Rod Deal. Thanking my special guest, Charlie Robinson, my special caller, Tony Mead, for being here, and all of you for listening.